Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Carrying Through the Matrix on August the 8th, 2011. For new cameras, you should look into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and help yourself to the audios which are there for free download. There's hundreds to choose from and hopefully I'll give you little clues and insights into the big systems that interlock above governments and within governments to run the whole world. And that's from basic natural resources all the way through. Every aspect of your life is run by corporations and monopolies set up a long time ago to do that very thing. And, of course, uh, the regular media don't tell you uh, generally uh, how these corporations interlink to control you and how they plan the future to make sure they're always in control. But that's really how the way it is. We're, we're part of a big, big business plan. Uh, including eugenics too, that's all involved in it as well and uh, future projections with big think tanks working for governments projecting the the kinds of humans that like to go on into the future into the next part of their brave new world scenario uh, as they they let the rest of them die off or actually encourage death in fact through various other means it's all part of it that's how they talk at the very top they're very cold and practical and pragmatic about things so help yourself to the audios. Remember, too, uh, that you can buy the books and discs I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and that will help me just take over for a little while longer. I don't bring on advertisers as guests uh, who generally terrify the, the people, and then hopefully they give you an antidote to save yourselves. That's how things generally work, but I don't bring them on. And therefore, the ads you hear on this show are paid directly by advertisers to RBN to pay for this program and to pay for the, the studio time and to pay their employees and their bills as well because we all get those as inflation creeps up. So you can help me with mine by buying the books and discs from the U.S. to Canada. You can use a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office or some some people to send cash and you can also uh, use PayPal. You'll find a donation button on the com site. Just follow it up with an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Across the rest of the world, you're left with Western Union and MoneyGram, and again, PayPal. Remember, straight donations are awfully welcome as well. Because as we well know, I think anybody who's got a memory today can remember that wages have been stagnant for about 20 odd years, really, across the board in most countries, actually longer than that. And uh, inflation goes on and on and on. This is all part of your austerity. They were doing it long before they told you, and it was planned a long time ago to standardize the whole world and pretend that we can compete with the Chinese uh, with their $4 a week uh, program and all that kind of nonsense. It's quite something when you see adults, adults called experts saying we have to compete with the Chinese with a straight face on television. It's quite the joke. You know, you could, they don't even tip their, their, their waiters for that for a week's salary in Chinese, believe you me. So this is what they tell you you're supposed to do in the future. And if they really mean it, if they really were to mean it, that is, not kidding about it or scamming you, uh, then obviously um, we'd be in bad, bad straits. And never mind the fact it's impossible to compete with Chinese wages. So 
we're, we're stuck in the crossroads here as the big boys who've planned this very scenario now, who said we're going to austerity, who said that the crash of 2008 wouldn't hit us till about three to five years later. Now they're on with the next part as they downgrade the U.S., exactly as was planned, of course, because the U.S. must learn to uh, adapt into the third world status that they helped uh, basically create across the whole planet. Uh, we're all to go down to about third world, or two and a half, say two and a half level standard, not quite third world, and share everything. That means that the same monopolies across the planet uh, will share the loot from all the peasantry in the global plantation. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. It's uh, quite the world we live in, in fact. Most folk don't know they're actually going along an agenda uh, that was written a long time ago, step by step, phase by phase, as I've mentioned many times. Do you really believe, do you really, really believe that you have nations? If you had nations like the US and Canada and Britain and elsewhere, would you really, really uh, sign a World Trade Organization pact to make sure that nothing can be produced in your own country, manufactured that is, because you want to pay all those who manufactured in your country to go off to China and build things there. Would you really do that with any threat of war or fear from another people? Of course not. And the reason is because, you see, we finance China up to its present status. At least not we. Our tax money helps, certainly, because we put a lot into it. But the big international bankers did it as well, the ones who helped to run the show at the top. And the ones who lend to nations, that's how they know that China can't uh, go off in its own little way because uh, the ones at the top in, in China are as easily corruptible as people everywhere else. So China is totally under their thumb. But, uh, yeah, you would never, ever give the, the ability to start churning out tanks, for instance, if you had to, uh, away overnight to the World Trade Organization, to China. It would never happen. So we've been global for an awful long time, and your tax money has uh, helped to finance these countries up to their top status. Same with India, and the same with Brazil. Uh, as I say, two investors are told when they go to the UN meetings, that's where you get the real lowdown on what's going on. They tell you the future. They tell you where all the, tra- the deals are going to be made and the treaties made and where the money is going to be sunk. And therefore, countries, that's your tax money all over the world, will go to build those countries up. For every dollar invested by private investment, they'll back, they'll back it by hundreds of dollars from your own country. Uh, so that's how it really, really works. We live in, a, in an imaginative uh, system, really, very imaginative and very clever, and is helped, again, along by the media, who often don't tell you the big things. I can remember watching all this stuff going on with China and WTO, the GATT treaty is signed, and all the, the thing, the, all the little, the, the, the small writing as well, lots of lots of small writing there, uh, pages and pages of it, telling you that they would fund your own manufacturers to uproot, you would fund them to move, you, you would pay the cost of the moving, and you would fund their factories to be set up in China, and you'd also fund any losses they claim to incur for the next 10 years, which could be renegotiated for another 10 years afterwards. So that's the kind of deals you give to big, big, big business. 
and at the bottom you're left. Now don't think for an instant that all all the, the, the G7s and the G20s and all the, the G-men, you know, the big G-men and the grandmasters, you know, don't think for an instant they didn't say, well, what will we do with all the people back home who worked in the factories and all of the jobs associated with factories? Remember, for every factory, you've got engineering shops, dozens of them making individual little widgets. You've got all this backup business to supply the factories. That's all gone too. So they didn't think for an instant, don't think they said, well, they'll all be unemployed. I guess we'll, they'll all be working in burger joints or something. No. You are, we are all at the step and the stage that the big think tanks first saw before they signed the World Trade Organization. You know, the ones who set it up, that is. And folk will never, ever want to believe that. They want to believe that, that somehow business is, a, is independent of all nations, is independent of all authority. It can just do what it wants. They really want to believe that, and that governments have the power to deal with them, which is absolute nonsense, because the big businesses with all their grants and money, etc., really are the guys who put the politicians into power. And again, at the top of that, you have the, the wise men, the ones who really run the countries and run the think tanks and tell each one what area of investigation to look into and all, all the effects. That's a very small club at the very, at the very top. So we're, here we are in it, and it's now time to, to pull the plug, as I've said, in America. And they've almost finished off their jobs that they're supposed to do, which is standardize the world into this thing called democracy, this elastic band. You know, it's never the same size twice. You can stretch and stretch your, or, 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 or put it back again to a small size. And uh, that's what democracy is. It's whatever suits the big boys at the moment. That's how they'll redefine democracy over and over. So... As the U.S. is to finish off Iran and Syria, basically, and Mitsudan, of course, all the ones that they said back in the early 90s they were going to do, uh, then that's the job almost over. There'd be nothing left for military then except literally to contain the people within as they go into austerity and then riots begin, etc., etc. So that's the hard facts as they happen to be. That's how it is. And your governments aren't going to call factories back in, believe you me, and say you can't sell. That's what you, what you could do. You can't sell here unless you have your factories here. That would solve it, but that would never happen. Never ever happen in a million years. And what you always get, too, uh, when austerity starts to bite, uh, and depression or recession, doesn't matter what they want to call it, they've all t- lots of terms to make it sound less heavy than it is. But it really is, it's what's really called depressions we're in, financial depression. And remember too what they said at the United Nations when the banks collapsed, they had a big cheer, and they said, okay, now you're going into austerity, which means you're post-consumer. And that's the world they want. They've hated uh, the first world countries for so long for, for being so spendthrift, etc., buying things all the time, even though they got all the, the loot transposed across the rest of the world to help these countries are now condemning you. Um, the fact is, you know, not to buy anything anymore, supposedly. Uh, you're post-consumer. And your cash, if you have any cash at all, will go to rent, mortgages, increased fees, probably quadrupling uh, or more your electricity within the first year or so, as is in Canada and Australia and elsewhere. So all energy will eat up your disposable income. And that's what's going into energy and energy taxes, which are still to get whacked on all the rest of us so the big boys at the top can play themselves with their bigger luxury yachts made in China. 
But what always happens is a little clue to what's happening as well. It's when riots start, you see. And I can remember back in the 70s there were riots in Britain as we went through this amazing uh, <laughs> democratic system of Britain. Uh, Great Britain, they called it then, you know. And uh, and it was great for those who owned it, too. They, they looted the world for a long time, about 200 families. And uh, But anyway, you, you find that you always have riots break out. And it always hits certain segments of society first before it hits other segments of society in rioting. In fact, uh, the, the folk, for instance, in Britain, uh, say, say the native English are the most domesticated people because... Even in the 1500s, there were authors writing about the fact they were so docile to authority. They would simply obey it, no matter what the circumstances. But it takes the ones who are often picked on to start rioting. And sure enough, um, they had over the weekend there two or three cities where they were setting fire to, to buses and cars, cop cars as well, yeah, throwing gasoline bombs at the police, and, and of course looting the stores. That happened in the 80s, as I say. It's happening again now in two or three other places uh, because uh, their own were being shot by the cops. And you don't do that with certain ethnic minorities because they have a different way of life. It's that simple. Uh, We're we're not all going to fit into the same square holes. Uh, We we are different. And uh, and so some of them uh, got nasty after a, a, a demonstration against the police who had really riddled a guy with bullets and um, one of their own, and they started rioting. And it was interesting, too. I'll put some clips up tonight. You'll see them going in doing the shopping uh, through the windows, and uh, you, you'll see a woman carrying off a, a big a big <laughs> carpet for a living room. Uh, quite the job. I guess adrenaline really works, and you can do an awful lot when you've got adrenaline pumping that you couldn't normally do. But she she struggles and gets this thing out of the store. This it must be about 12 feet long. But anyway, I'll, I'll show you that. Because, as I say, the, the ones who are used to getting picked on, uh, maybe a bit more so than others, I, I, I can't really say that today because I think every every group in Britain is picked on with such a big police force there and specialized branches of police force to deal with every, every let's, call, let's call them caste systems because that's what you have in Britain now. And... Uh, the cops, in fact, make their living off of chasing people down motor waves and, and herds of, uh, literally herds of police cars. And that's how the country gets by, too, is all these tickets get going out and, again, getting rid of your disposable income, taking it back from you. So that's how the writing starts. And maybe it'll start eventually branch off into the white classes, too. I think it will down the road. Uh, maybe not yet, but down the road it will when folk have to cut back and back and back, and then you become like parts of the ex-Soviet Union, which are now back on rationing, food rationing, that is. That will come as well. They've worked awfully hard to set up the system across the world uh, because Monsanto and and the the four other agribusinesses that run the world's food supply with the help of governments who've outlawed every other farmer, farm naturally, that is, uh, they own the world's food supply with the middlemen in between that sell it to the stores and, and often own the stores as well, or the chains of them. So we are at the mercy of this group who, who's, who really go under the monopoly flag, and that's where we are today as we go down into austerity. But here's an article here, and it's from the BBC, Brixton stores looted amidst clashes with riot police. And it gives a little bit about it, and it gives you the usual photographs, 
and a lot of youths with uh, the hoods on and, and some of some face masks, and they clash with the police. And the, the police have been told to back off because they don't want to stir it off into the same uh, riots that they had, the kind of racial riots really back in the 70s and again in the 80s. So they've been told to back off a little bit. So they will. And then after all the riots calm down, they go after the individuals that they've got on camera individually. They'll do it one at a time here and there. That's generally how it happens. This is the beautiful world that they brought us into where you can trigger an event any time you want to because you've set up a, a powder keg. The money, when the money flows, everyone can get along. But when the money stops flowing, uh, old traditional hatreds come to the surface, are exploited by a few, generally from the very top, mind you, and then you get this sort of stuff going on. Then the cops say, see, you really do need us after all. You do need anti-terrorist forces. It's all a big plan, isn't it? Back with more after this. Folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and talking about the, the riots in Britain. Uh, they're the first of many, I'm sure, to come. And that's part of the reason, too, that a massive police state has been built up. Nothing to do with the terrorists and so on. And, in fact, it started off, this article here is from, uh, I think it's Sky News and from The Guardian. And they say that... Uh, it happened over the accidental shooting of a man Tuesday, although nobody's really sure for the reasons, but in fact it was called it was the it was called the Trident Force. The Trident Force um are for the, the police cruisers who like the the God of Poseidon, I guess they call them Tridents. Uh, and they're supposed to deal with um uh, armed uh, arms, firearms, etc. In, in Britain, and they come in kind of gung ho because all they do is practice killing folk, and they get a chance to really do it. So they definitely kill them, and uh, there wasn't much left of this guy's face when they finished with him. Anyway, uh, that sparked off the protests, and then this protest went turned into riots, and like most riots, end up burning down their own streets and things, apart from the stores which they, they loot first. And this is another uh, article about that one too. So. It's interesting, too, that uh, one happened in the States at the same time. It was one of the big fairs that happened, and a similar thing happened, which tells me uh, that there, there's something else going on. I can remember the, the riots before in the late 70s uh, with Brixton and Tottenham and others all going up at the same time. And at the time, they said there were even people with, in jeeps with loudspeakers going around uh, organizing the crowds and, and looters and the rioters. So there's much more to it. Today, of course, they're all on the cell phone, and they can tweet each other. And they have found that studies are awfully interesting that it only takes 5% of those who are twittering away to lead all the rest. The 95% just follow, and that's part of the flash mob mentality. Interesting, too, uh, as I did articles on flash mobs before from the military think tank in Britain, and they talked about this, that the coming thing would be flash mobs using social networking. Uh, but which also tells me they can control them or even spark them off and tell them to riot. You know, think about it both ways. You have to in this world. If the elite want rioting, they'll get rioting and they'll cause it to happen. Knowing all of this psychology uh, that they can five percent you know, uh, of uh, their own teams just working the ninety-five percent of looters and rioters quite easy to do, isn't it? Always remember that too. Don't never be a follower of anybody, especially mobs. And if you see a mob coming your way, don't join them. Walk the opposite way as fast as you can. 
because someone's using you. Someone is using you. And then you go into the UK's secret policy on torture revealed. You see, Britain's been awfully good with his PR over, oh, for a long time. They talk about the, the sportsman instinct and the, and, and the, you know, and the professional people uh, and the officer class in the armies. The sportsmanship, obviously humbug actually, but uh, they've always used the sportsman. Well, we always help the guy we've knocked down back on his feet again type thing. And then we plundered their country. But anyway, uh, UK's secret policy on torture revealed it says, this is a number of men said they were questioned by MI5 and MI6 after being tortured at Guantanamo. So they were sending them all over the world to do the torturing too. And of course trying to say that they only watched while the US did it instead. So it's, it's the usual guff, as I call it. And it says here, the interrogation policy, details of which are believed to be too sensitive, that means horrible, <laughs> by the way, to be publicly released at the government inquiry into the UK's role in torture and rendition instructed senior intelligence officers to weigh the importance of the information being sought against the amount of pain they exerted a prisoner to suffer. So in other words, the more important information that you might or might not get out of this person, you might not even know, uh, gave you the idea how much pain you could use on a prisoner. This is it was operated by the British government for almost a decade. A copy of the secret policy showed senior intelligence officers and ministers feared the British public could be at greater risk of a terrorist attack if Islamists became aware of its existence. And it says, one of the sections of it says, if the possibility exists that information will be or has been obtained through the administration of detainees, the negative consequences may include any potential adverse effects on national security if the fact or the agency seeking or accepting information in those circumstances were to be publicly revealed. So for reasons of national security, they can, again, keep awfully quiet about it and go on torturing people. And uh, I, I don't know how they recruit these guys, if they put ads in the paper or, or, or what it is, but they, they, there's no problem getting people to, be, to torture people. You notice that no country has that problem. Which means it's the dregs at the bottom that generally are in gangsterism that you, you would hire, isn't it? Which tells you all you need to know about your, your guys in MI6. But that's the way it really works. And uh, it's interesting to see this across the whole world. Every country is pretty much the same as another country when it comes to the way it operates. Because, you see, at the top of every country you've got big gangs. And sometimes the gangs fight each other until they till they go into treaties with each other. That's what treaties are really about, is, is the gangs getting together. And and sometimes they, over a long period of time, they can intermarry off their daughters, etc., plus the wealth, and become one big gang. And uh, and then they tell you how to behave as good people, and which is mainly to do what they tell you to do, uh, and just cough up. And that's how that's what countries are. That's what nations are. They're corporations, you see. Just like big monopolies. And when it comes to uh, going from one country to the next and you apply to immigration on both sides, uh, they, they, you just fill in your, your name, date of birth, and your social security number, your, your herd number, basically. And, uh, and then it's up to them to decide who's going to get the, the right to tax that person. You, you're a commodity, you understand. That's how you, what you really are. Otherwise, you can go anywhere and live where you wanted to. But here's a commodity because all, all money really goes, up, goes upwards to the bosses at the top, a kind of anti-gravity machine. And we're back with more on this after this break.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Tonight I'll also put a link up to GM Crops, Farmer to Farmer, and it's about so it's a video about one farmer who goes from state to state talking about the realities of the GM crops and the fallacies that the farmers were sold by Monsanto, where one spray of their special roundup does all, and it shows you how uh, it's really affecting the weeds, how weeds are getting resistant to everything, it's being everything far, far worse. And, uh, and it also shows an insight into the cons. The, the, men, the power of this monopoly is astonishing. Mind you, they've bribed every politician in every country to make sure uh, that uh, they can put all the smaller farmers out of, of their business, especially the ones that won't use their GM crops. And uh, even when their, their, their GM crops fail, uh, they'll give you uh, a hand and, and say, okay, we'll give you normal seed. But one go of it, you can't, don't collect the seeds and use it again. If you do, they're down again with the power of government to grab your land and get you off it and steal it, in other words. That's how they really work. So one big mafia. And they've lobbied just every politician there is to lobby to get what they want. Not all the judges, too. I don't think one judge will go against them and find them guilty of anything. And that's really just like the old Al Capone rackets in the 20s. Uh, not, nothing much changes when it comes to lobbying, money, power and bribery and threats, of course. So but it's an interesting uh, video to watch. I saw half of it before my satellite packed in, and uh, you, you can watch it for yourselves to see if actual farmers talk about to the guys who use the stuff and what it does to the land and to the crops. And all the nonsense is to say that Monsanto tells you that one spray will do all. They have to mix two or three sprays sometimes themselves and, and ultra-dosing the crops to get any crops at all with them. So we're really getting poisoned in good time. Another article, too, uh, and it's about uh, the taking over of America by the UN Wildlands Project. That came out of the Maurice Strong uh, 92 Convention on Biological Diversity. The Air Summit, and the next part, by the way, is to, to take place with these private organizations again, the, the new democracy that's composed of private organizations uh, run by the big, big wealthy guys and their foundations. That's to take place next year, and if you think it's bad enough now, you wait and see what come out of this, this next one as they put us down to the level maybe of the, um, the mosquito, maybe even down below the mosquito, I don't know. But uh, the last one they gave humans no rights at all and gave the plants and etc. and insects all, and the animals all the rights. And it's awful nice of them, but uh, unfortunately your governments all went along with it because it's the big agenda. Because Maurice Strong, who introduced it, is just the, the front man for Rockefeller and the big foundations. Another article too, it doesn't matter how bad it gets in the US, you know, they're always uh, buying more and more uh, military equipment, well, they've got to finish off the Middle East for, for well, for somebody else. And this article goes on about the, the biggest, most expensive drone ever is being bought up right now or put into action by the U.S. It says, the U.S. Air Force Global Hawk Unmanned rec- 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 <laughs> I say Recognition Aircraft, which it does too, reconnaissance aircraft, and it says, uh, with $14 trillion in the hole and a slew of wars seemingly no one wants, 
well, somebody does, America to be in, what better way for the United States to spend their money than by putting $2.3 billion into spy planes? The U.S. will drop billions on defense spending with a purchasing of 55 Global Hawk drone planes over the next few years. Each of the four dozen plus spy crafts comes at the price tag of $218 million apiece. Not bad for the military-industrial complex. Eh? Ten times the price of the largest armed attack drone. Global Hawk drones are capable of flying twice as high as commercial aircraft and can spot insurgents up to 100 miles away. Once identified, the robotic crafts uh, that are controlled from 24-hour command stations can then send images to intelligence centers or directly to the troops, so it can spot you 100 miles away. It's so high up. The Global Hawk drones will replace the U-2 spy planes the U.S. currently deploys, which the U.S. has relied on since the dawn of the Cold War. But what a price, eh? $218 million apiece. Apiece, eh? It's a great business, isn't it? War really is a great business, and uh, that's why they make sure there's lots of them. And it's so interesting, too. It's the same corporations that wrote, wrote many years ago that with the ending of the Cold War and with the, the end in sight of any kind of wars, for national reasons, that is, uh, they'd have to turn in t- inwards towards terrorism long before the towers went down and, and uh, basically spy equipment on the public would be a priority for them to continue. And here we all are. They're great at predicting things, aren't they? So, this is a team of 50 engineers will slave over the construction of the, the Global Hawk drones in Palmdale, California warehouse. And the U.S. Air Force will invest $12 billion towards the initiative, with the Navy offering almost as much to have their own versions of the Global Hawks. Well, they all want one, do they? Don't they? Some of them want them blue, some of them want them other colors. But it's all tax money regardless, isn't it? So, there you go. Uh, there's always cash for that, isn't there? Also, I keep mentioning this one article. City's top economists say the water market will soon eclipse oil. Very important because, you see, the basic things they go after are what you need to live, and you'll pay anything to get them one day. Some already have in some countries. They are paying whatever it takes to, to, to get it. City economist William Butzer tells clients to invest in the water industry, which will soon become hotter than oil. I expect to see in the near future massive expansion and investment in the water sector, including the production of fresh, clean water from other sources, desalination, purification, storage, shipping, and transportation of water. I expect to see pipe networks that will exceed the capacity for those for oil and gas today. I see fleets of water tankers and storage facilities that will dwarf those we currently have for oil, natural gas, and LNG. I see new canal systems dug for water transportation. That's probably out of uh, um, Libya, probably, as they steal all their water. Similar in ambition to scale to those currently in progress in China, linking the Yangtze River in the south to the Yellow River in the Arid North, etc., etc., etc. Funny, too, that George Washington said the same thing. Eh? He said, I see uh, a nation crisscrossed by canals and water diversion to make those canals, interestingly. But that's just coincidence, isn't it? And then you know, too, there's so many overlapping uh, areas of government, and they always get these uh, kind of obsessional types to take the jobs at the bottom to collect the tickets, etc. And uh, and I noticed last week there was a guy who who went out with his son just out the back door, basically, uh, into a field and looking for arrowheads, as he did when he was a young boy. And along comes a park ranger and finds him a massive amount of money because you can't do anything like that now on on, on their park property. Everything's getting turned into parks, you see. 
And it's amazing too that everyone, no one stops and says, well, whose land is it anyway? You know, and uh, how come the government can snatch it up and call it a park or the UN for that matter under its biosphere program? Anyway, here's a woman here, a woodpecker saving girl's mother gets fined $500. It shows you, vets, you're all guilty of something. You just don't, don't know it yet. There's that many laws in the books and they're escalating too. 11-year-old aspiring vet, veterinarian Skylar Capo sprang into action. The second she learned that a baby woodpecker in her dad's backyard was about to be eaten by the family cat. She said, I've always loved animals, said Skylar Capo. I couldn't stand to watch it be eaten. And... Um, she couldn't find the woodpecker's mother, so she brought it to her, her own mother, Alison Kappa, who agreed to take it home. She was just going to take care of it for a day or two, make sure it was safe and uninjured, and then she was going to let it go, said Kappa. But on the drive home, the Kappa family stopped at Lowe's in Fredericksburg, and they brought the bird inside because of the heat. I guess that's a, a store. That's when they were confronted by a fellow shopper who said she worked for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Oh, no. She was really nervous. She was shaking, probably with rage. Then she pulled out a badge, said Capo. The problem was that the woodpeckers are protected species under the Federal Migratory Bird Act. Therefore, it's illegal to take or transport a baby woodpecker. The Capo families say they had no idea. I was a little bit upset because I didn't want my mum to get in trouble, said Skylar. So as soon as the Capo family returned home, they say they opened the cage, the bird flew away, and they reported it to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Maybe she'll just throw it to the cat again. Yeah. They said, that's great, that's exactly what we want to see, said Capo. We thought uh, that we had done everything that we could possibly do. But roughly two weeks later, the same woman from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service showed up at the Capo's front door. It was high crime, you know. This time, Capo says the woman was accompanied by a state trooper, Capo refused to accept a citation, but was later mailed a notice to appear in the U.S. District Court for unlawfully taking a migratory bird. She's also been slapped with a $535 fine. So there you go. Don't be good. Don't be good and help the wildlife. You see, it's very much like what happened in New Orleans with uh, with the flooding. Uh, because people were falling off their roofs eventually, and going into the water, and FEMA was stopping neighbors diving in to help them, telling them they weren't trained for it. Experts would deal with that. You see, that's where everything's come now. Experts run everything. You're too stupid, you see, to, to do it yourself, apparently. And uh, so don't help anything at all. I guess that's the idea. You, have, you always phone the authorities. We live in massive corruption and, and over-regulation. The, re- the reason, in fact, when you look at the old books is what, as to why America became a success, industrial and otherwise, was because they had so little legislation and, and, or, and government agencies just slapping out rules and regulations. That, was, that truly was the reason why uh, you, could, you could grow there. You could actually grow, get a ranch and, and build, make something off it because they had a restriction and all that. Whereas the countries that they'd all left already had, to emigrate to America, they already had lots and lots of restrictions and laws and rules, etc. And now the U.S. is in exactly the same position. You're breaking the law all the time, and you just don't know it. That's like the whole Soviet Union. That's how it was too. You, you, walking out the house, you break one law or another by crossing the street the wrong direction, the wrong, maybe diagonally, who knows. But, but whatever it was, they could get you any time they wanted to, if they wanted to, you see. But the corruption rules America, it's uh, the home of corruption for corporations and monopolies. They copied England, at least I should say London, and uh, they did it very well. This is Shell Game, the house that's home to 2,000 companies. A single address in Cheyenne, Wyoming, rivals global business tax havens. 
and it says the building at 2710 Thomas Avenue. It's pictured in China Wyoming, and it's under undated photograph. Um, it says, at a single address in this sleepy city of 60,000 people, more than 2,000 companies are registered. The building, 2710 Thomas Avenue, isn't a shimmering skyscraper filled with A-list corporations. It's a 1,700-square-foot brick house with a manicured lawn a few blocks from the state capitol. Neighbors say they see little activity there besides a regular mail delivery and a woman who sleeps outside or sneaks, sleeps or sneaks or steps outside for smoke breaks. Inside, however, the walls of the main room are covered floor to ceiling with numbered mailboxes labeled as corporate suites. A bulky copy machine sits in the kitchen. In the living room, a woman in a headset answers calls and sorts bushels of mail. So it's, uh, it's quite fascinating. This is our Reuters investigation has found the house at Thomas Avenue serves as a little Cayman Island on the Great Plains. It's the headquarters for Wyoming Corporate Services, a business and corporation specialist that establishes firms which can be used as shell companies, paper entities able to hide assets. When it comes to cash, the, the, the imaginations, it's limitless, it's infinite, isn't it? Especially if you're raised in the right families to understand how cash works and the cons of it, that is. Wyoming Corporate Services will help clients uh, create a company and more. They set up a bank account for it, add a lawyer as a corporate director to invoke attorney-client privilege, even appoint standing directors and officers as high as CEOs. Amongst its offerings is a variety of shell known as a shelf, a shelf company, which comes with years of regulatory filings behind it, lending a greater feeling of solidity. A corporation is a legal person created by the state statute and can be used as a fall guy, a servant, a good friend, or a decoy, the company's website boasts. A person you control, yet cannot be held accountable for its actions. Imagine the possibilities. And that's true, they gave them, uh, all these corporations, legal uh, status as as an actual corporate body, like like a human being. Amongst the entities registered at 2710, Thomas Rivers found is a shelf company, uh, sheltering real estate assets controlled by a jailed former prime minister of the, the Ukraine, according to allegations made by a political rival in a federal court in California. And I'll put this link up too at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the night. But it's, uh, it's quite interesting how life rolls on, doesn't it? And rolls on, by the way, is like Rolls-Royce. Rolls-Royce, the prides of the upper elite of Britain, who are the only ones who could afford to buy a Rolls-Royce, have just moved uh, their engine plant to Germany instead of the British factory. Engine makers Rolls-Royce could build an aircraft testing plant abroad instead of at its British British factory. The decision to consider moving to Germany or the US could see thousands of vacancies created at a time when jobs for British workers remain a priority. The company told staff is looking for the feasibility of constructing an aircraft engine testing plant abroad instead of at its its UK base in Derby. Uh, the move is another blow for the manufacturing industry just weeks after 1,400 workers lost their jobs at train maker Bombardier, also in Derby. That's actually based in Canada, though, the Bombardier company. After the government said a £1.4 billion uh, contract would go to Siemens in Germany. Rolls-Royce workers were told the news last week, which created an air of uncertainty at the plant. They were told a feasibility study had found Germany and the U.S. to be the best site for a testing plant. So there you go. We're international now, you know. We're global. We're supposed to cheer about that, apparently. We should should all celebrate uh, globalism. And 
just before Glory Collars, parents are to be given a five-day checklist on how to raise children. Amazing in my lifetime how they destroyed, just like Burton Russell said, they would, they would destroy the ability to even do something as naturally as raise children. Um, and now you need specialists and experts to guide you how to do it. This is from Scotland. Parents will be given a five-day checklist detailing how they should bring up their children under a plan which is winning ministerial support. And uh, it's all... It's all a buzz with it over there is, is, is how they're going to teach you to raise the children. But what it is too is to make sure they get the proper initial indoctrination into globalism and political correctness and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. Stuff that everyone knew at one time. When I was living, everybody knew it. You didn't get taught any of this stuff. But, uh, and, and one last thing too, Pacific Region takes center stage for the MHS Cyber Infrastructure Services. It's interesting. See, in the future, apparently, if you have this big, massive military, it can be based anywhere. It, technically, it will eventually lose its national character and, and it will be international. They're already setting these bases up across the world for a hundred, for maybe even for two hundred years to last that long in the future. And it says military healthcare providers need to be able to rely on the computer systems no matter where they care for troops. Service members stationed overseas must receive the same, receive the same quality of health care as their compatriots at home. Operations in the Pacific region pose special challenges for Military Health Service Cyber Infrastructure Services Directorate. MCIS must ensure that all health care data is transmitted without significant delay or loss of information, despite the great distances between military treatment facilities and the MHS data centers in the Pacific region. So they're going ahead there and... Uh, putting up new organizations and new centers, etc., for the future when there's no more U.S. really to take. Maybe the U.S. will just be just like the sci-fi movies, just people in rags and rubble with these well-fed, uh, well-protected troops, uh, you know, lording over you. This seems to be the case. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, and we're cutting through the matrix. And I'll go to Clarence from Pennsylvania, if he's still there. You there, Clarence? Hello? Hi, can you hear me? I can, yeah. Hi, it's good to speak to you. Um, I wanted to ask you a few questions, but uh, I just wanted to chime in, I guess, on what you were talking about before. Uh, now, they saw her being overpopulated. I'm, I'm in a city right now. You know, you've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. You can just travel on the highway anywhere. You could walk. You could walk for literally a lifetime and, and never reach a city. Yep. You know? Yep. It's amazing to me. But I'll ask you quickly. Where did you hear originally? I know you have a deep background. And, uh, you know, through, I guess, occult information. Uh, where did you begin to hear about the hermaphroditic agenda originally? I mean, you know, as much as you would obviously want to talk about it. Well, the symbols are all present if you look into Hinduism and you look into uh, uh, the, the different statues in Hinduism. And that's obviously where even the so-called mystical ones got it uh, for their, their uh, so-called occultic stuff that broke out in the, the Middle Ages in Europe. Uh, same, same kind of uh, imagery you're seeing there. And also you can, you can go into even older stuff uh, written uh, if you read the, the accompanying literature, 
and even folk tales to do with Judaism, which also copied it from much earlier peoples who have been around, you'll find a lot of traces, a lot of clues in there. And you have to be, you have to be pretty thick to miss them. <laughs> uh, I'll chime in quick, and I'll uh, say, you know, the word hermaphrodite, I guess traditionally it's a, the symbiosis of Hermes and Aphrodite. And I remember I called in last time and I asked a question about uh, Hermes, Trimagestus, and yeah, three times great, yeah. Yeah, well, Hermes kind of a, I've always felt spiritually. Hermes is like a, it's like, you know, it's a certain being. It's like a, a devil or something. It, it's hard for me to explain, but yeah. it's like, it's an ancient, it's an ancient religion, you know, that they have. And, uh, well, what it is really, underneath it all, the, the imagery are, are three systems, actually. This is the key to it. For the lower level, you always get mixed up with genders and stuck in genders. But it also means three systems fused into one for control purposes. And that's what the higher ones are taught. It's three systems of governance. And that's really what they're all about. Underneath all mysticism, you'll find it's to do with control and domination. And to get willing work out of those that you dominate. Uh, give them a religion, give them whatever, and then manipulate them, control them. Yeah. Oh, well, there's there's actually a symbol in um I, I'm not sure if it's China or Japan, Eastern symbolism. It's actually a, it's a it's like a mask. It's like a face with three different masks, and it yeah. It, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's a yeah. For whatever reason, this this idea, you know, this spiritual idea has it, it's been all around the world. It's been all around the world, but I, I, I personally think that even in the Stone Age there, there was a, a world um, religion, you might say, because we find the same kind of buildings, Stone Age buildings across the entire planet. So they had to have communication, travel of some kind, uh, and a priesthood who, who regulated it too. Uh, it's just You cannot look at the megaliths in Peru and then go across to parts of Europe and see the same type of structures uh, built and, and the Far East as well, with the same supporting structures and techniques to keep them from falling down, to keep them in place. They're all identical. That cannot be uh, just wiped away. Uh, so there was definitely a lot of travel in very ancient times. But thanks for calling. And from Larry from Louisiana, please call maybe tomorrow. From Hamish from South Frontier, Canada, it's good night to me, or God or your God's go with you.